Cool. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> okay, so you guys are in the same place, but socially distanced within your place. Correct. Okay. I think that was like the element of it that I was like struggling to like figure out. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's in my basement. Not my basement, the house's basement. I'm always in a basement. Yeah, how was your week, Ben? Uh, it was good. My, uh, my parents are down in Atlanta, so I drove down, and then I guess my, baby, my mom is going to stay with my brother for a while to kind of help babysit and, and do some stuff like that. Exciting. Uh, our water main broke, um, oh. so a big proportion of Atlanta doesn't have potable water right now, or at least they haven't tested to make sure that it's okay to drink, oh, so we have a oil water advisory. That sucks. Yikes. Oh, I keep forgetting. We need to like introduce somehow. I don't really know what to do though. That's fine. Is there a PP Pals Peapod update? Oh, the Peapods? Uh, They have been given to two other individuals. So not only have they been harvested, consumed, prepared in dishes, but also shared. Yeah. And so far, everyone survived, everyone who's eaten. <laughs> yes, them. no deaths, no sudden mutations, no pod person incidents, although that one should probably say on our radar. Yeah, doing very well. Uh, more protests, too, and the world is as it should be, changing. Yes. Uh, so welcome to our uh, uh, guest for this week, uh, David, who we both <laughs> know. Uh, uh, so David, how was your week? It was good. It's good. Uh, uh, nothing, nothing too crazy. Just uh, work and Monday was good, right? We went to uh, went to that protest. Yeah, other than that, just just work, man. Work and sleep. And where do you work? I work at I work at a, a Domino's, a, a, a pizza place. It's uh, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> how how are they holding up with that, Alex? Oh, it's been it's been terrible. Um, I mean, uh, I guess uh, I've I've sort of taken over the role of spreading socialism in the store and uh, socialism and communism and i'm not as good i'm a lot meaner with it I'm just like you idiot it's what's best for you i can yell about communism from the oven and the whole the whole store can hear me have you watched evangelion before so interesting interestingly enough um every time i have attempted to uh, watch the show on my own it has been late at night and i have put it on and i have fallen asleep and every time mm-hmm. that i have tried to watch it i've started it ep- at the first episode and netflix has cut it off at the seventh episode Every time I've yeah. tried to watch it. And the only episode that I've watched all the way through um, is the seventh episode. And uh, I watched it multiple times now. But uh, it's just interesting that like I went in and it was like resume episode seven. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I haven't watched episode seven yet. So it was very uh, kind of weird that it happened to be on the seventh episode when it was like, hey, do you want to do a podcast with us? So lots of uh, uh, synchronicities. Put in some of the X-Files music here. Yeah, right. <laughs> something you can't quite understand yeah just bizarre uh seven also important in a lot of numerology it's the highest single digit prime number it is uh the number of heaven in a lot of judeo-christian yeah it's uh, well it's a judeo-christian um when you look at um revelations the uh number seven uh implies perfection so when Mm. they say jesus is going to come back as a lamb with seven eyes and seven horns it means perfect knowledge and perfect power it doesn't actually mean a seven horned seven eyed lamb oh the number is is important which is funny why it's a human work and it's the you know perfect episode oh so in revelations do you remember if uh satan comes back as a multi-headed dragon right is it a seven-headed dragon it's a seven-headed dragon <gasps> perfect evil right mm-hmm. Ooh. yeah <laughs> i love it Cool, I guess we're ready. Um, that sounds good to me. Last time, Japan's next top sniper. Shinji tested the medical capabilities of a plug suit when his heart stopped. Nerves, mortar, and balloon department finally got a chance to shine. Ramael turned out to be an avid dig dug player. Ray and Masato, quote, borrowed an experimental positron rifle to enact an ancient Japanese one in a million shot. By Pen Pen's will, all of Japan went dark and we got a glimpse of the beautiful Japanese night sky before Shinji missed his first shot. Rei showed her impeccable timing and nerves of steel when she protected Shinji long enough to take a second shot. Ramel was defeated, but how long until the next angel? 
All right, now episode seven. So Tsuko tells Shinji about the classified true cause of the second impact. Then she and Misato attend the field test for an EVA competitor mecha. All right. It's optional to sing along, David. You don't have to. <laughs> I haven't learned the song yet. So. <laughs> I didn't give you that as homework. So this opening used to be uh, Fly Me to the Moon. Or not opening, the outro. Yeah. Uh, another great episode, I think, uh, because it's a character study of Misato. Maybe it's not as in-depth as like Shinji's Running Away episode or the Ray episode have been, but... Uh, Definitely all about Masato and oh, and kind of Ritsuko and showing you a, I think showing you a difference between the two of them, like where their loyalties lie. Yeah, I guess also maybe about um, some kind of darkness in in nerve and things not being exactly as they seem. Yeah, no, I think um, it does focus enough on uh, Shinji's kind of unawareness of what it is that uh, all his friends are like fawning over her for. Mm. sort of his like uh, spectrum stuff where he's like completely unaware that uh, there's an attractive woman that he lives with and he's just like she's gross and they're like no 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 that's <laughs> you get to see the real her but she doesn't do chores <laughs> she dresses like a slob and she drinks in the morning they're like that sounds awesome he's like you don't get it <laughs> so we start off and Gendo's in his office which we get like a clear view of now is it's got the tree of life on the ceiling, I think. And then it has some other marking. I don't know what it is on the floor, uh, but he sits at that top. His desk sits at that top node on the Tree of Life. And he's just on a phone call with somebody who sounds very shady. And they're talking about some upcoming project that's gonna be a problem, right? And, and I guess specifically, they're kind of trying to derail some sort of government legislation they're talking about these Freedom of Information Act requests. So, you know, that's people trying to, to get information about what they're doing and how they're kind of sabotaging those efforts. And then he also looks at a picture of that, uh, that robot that we see later in the episode. Right? Mm. So he knows about that before it's, before it's unveiled. And uh, is this the beginning of the, the anime trope where the bad guy wears the glasses that are like shining lights? <laughs> Oh, I don't know. He Gendo's definitely not the first one to look like that in Anno's work, but this may be where it became a trope because Neon Genesis is so popular. Yeah, but I was just like, I saw the glasses and I was like, oh, if any other anime is to be believed, then this this guy's not good. Oh, are you thinking of anyone specifically? Oh, um, just just other ones I've seen where I've I've tried to watch like a couple episodes or I've seen a little bit of it. Um, they're just it's always just the glasses with the almost like light shining out of them. Mm. Like it's like it's supposed. To, I'm assuming it's supposed to just be a reflection on the glasses mm. or something, but it almost looks like there's light being emitted from them, and it's weird. Um, I'm trying to think mm. of a specific one. I can't remember it right now. Of course. Oh, I haven't watched it, but it. I feel like Helsing does that. The main character is like a vampire, and he. Uh, often is shown with glasses on that does that. Yeah, I think that's I think that's true. Yeah, so I guess then we uh, we jump to the the home and we have that goofy home music, slice of life stuff playing. Um, we see Misato starts her her day every morning by drinking a beer and uh, tries to justify that to Shinji. That is often a, a sign of alcoholism if you start your day with a drink. Oh, right. It's like she says it's it's been Japanese culture to start your day with rice, miso, and sake for a thousand years, uh, which <laughs> uh, I feel like I have heard that from people. Well, you know, the Irish would, and you're like, so you're saying <laughs> that they're alcoholics, let's say. Culturally, they're alcoholics. <laughs> yes. Like, and that's a yeah. ubiquitous thing. Like, we should never look down on any culture for being alcoholics because they all are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, uh, I love the fact that the side of the can says 100%. Ibisu. Um, yeah, and it's just like, that's 100% of whatever's in there for you. <laughs> yeah, we have uh, Shinji being, I guess, annoyed that she's not doing her choice, but also kind of a little, little brat, a little 
sexist and uh, telling her this is why she's not married or whatever. Yeah, yeah with her as, because he is still 14, like he's becoming a person, but you know, he hasn't learned much tact or anything. And so like Misato is the adult there and she's very patient with him in that moment. Uh, also, I just want to point out, Pen Pen reads the paper. Pen Pen can read. Do you get this? Or he knows that it is psychologically disturbing to have a penguin next to you reading. Whether or not he's able to read, he knows that there is some something he's accomplishing with that. Either way, impressive. Yeah, very impressive. Um, and who fried his fish? Or is it is it supposed to be raw? I couldn't tell if it was supposed to be cooked or raw. I would just like to think that Pen Pen cooks them. <laughs> it's I, I would very like possible. to think that he was reading up on best the best way to cook fish in the newspaper and then decided to cook it that way. Yeah. Uh, so me, me, uh, I'm sorry, Shinji has to head off to school uh, and uh, Toji and Kensuke uh, meet him at his door and talk about how hot they think Misato is and then uh, walk him to school. They do this, this is a tropey thing, and I never really understood what it meant. They both make a crying animation when they're like poking their heads in trying to look at Misato. And I didn't know, is that supposed to be like nervousness? Is it supposed to be like beauty? Like you see something or taste something that's so beautiful that you have to cry? I think it's like a fawning kind of thing. Like, oh, ha, ha, ha. like it's what I want, but I can't have like sort of like, wouldn't it be so great? Like, I think it's kind of what you're saying, but if it feels almost like a fawning over, like a, a really weird, it's not like the nosebleed thing. No, that's arousal, right? Yes. Okay. That is specifically <laughs> arousal um, and tends to okay. be older people, I think. Mm. Yeah. And so we kind of, we get the impression that they're kind of using picking up Shinji to school as like a pretense for stopping by to, <laughs> to see Misato, yeah. right? Yeah. And I mean, that's a, that's a very real thing. People do that. Like <laughs> I remember in high school where there were friends that I had only because their moms were hot. <laughs> okay. I mean, they were, they were nice enough people, but it was like, Hey, you, your, your mom lets us like hang out and she kind of comes around it's nice <laughs> so they get to school and they continue to talk about this and then misato actually shows up at school very dressed up she looks very nice uh toji and kensuke fawn over her again and then they go as far as uh they disagree with shinji about how attractive she is and then they have a simultaneous speech and it's not like two <laughs> characters say the same couple of words at the same time. They make simultaneous movements, simultaneous speech. Like, is that something mm -hmm. that happens in anime a lot too? Clear, clearly rehearsed. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, no, I don't know if that's just supposed to be, yeah, like that's an anime trip for comedic value or if it's supposed to be, yeah, like they've like prepared this thing. I feel like they've been practicing it every day on their way to his house. <laughs> just for the opportunity when it arose. Um, so, so then Shinji goes off with Misato and Ritsuko, um, who, are, who are talking about the arrival of Unit 2 from Germany um, and financial issues with Nerve. Um, and they say that, that Gendo is, is going off to some meeting, but then it feels like the real meeting happens on the, the airplane there before wherever he's going. Or maybe that is the meeting. Maybe that's just the secret place to meet is on a on an empty airplane. Oh, no, you're right, though. I hadn't thought about that. It's like another level of espionage. You say you're going somewhere, but it doesn't even matter that you're going there. We don't get a scene of where he went, so we assume that that isn't as important, at least not to the narrative. That's right. Yeah, and it is strange that he goes like, can I join you since we're flying together? I'm like, where else was he sitting? Is he the only other person <laughs> on the plane? Yeah. Was he making him sit in the back until they were halfway there? Like what? <laughs> you stay in coach until I call you. Oh, and Shinji makes this comment about how the plug smells like blood, but feels hmm. safe. Clearly, I think he's talking about a womb, like the yeah. feeling of being yeah. uh, uh, completely safe inside another body. Yeah, and and he's wondering what what these avas are maybe questioning. You know, are these machines? Then mentions that they smell like blood, so that maybe there's some kind of biological component or something. Yeah, then they said the organic chess pieces. Hmm. Oh yeah, like they were talking about needing to repair the organic chess pieces and it costing a lot of money. Oh yeah, maybe they have to grow parts of them. Yeah. Uh, oh, and uh, and someone, not Ritsuko or Misato, someone else, when they're saying that Gendo's gone, they say things are calmer around here when uh, Gendo isn't here. I think this is a pro-worker episode. 
because the managers oh, yeah. are are not good for the workers because they didn't elect them. You know, it causes the psychological stress. It seems like you don't get as much work done when you think someone is watching you. That's true. Yeah, I mean, we see maybe a lot of stuff as people's egos or something. But so so on that plane, you know, they're they're discussing, I guess, these like future Ava projects six and eight and trying to get these different countries on board. And the guy mentions, you know, I don't want another second impact, no offense. And kind of watching it a, a second time, I was wondering about that line, kind of like no offense. Hmm. I was trying to figure out if that kind of implies Gendo is somehow responsible for the first impact or something, or that Japan was, or or something like that. It seems like, um, you know, the little little window of perspective I have with it, it seems like it's something where uh, Gendo has benefited from these events. Hmm. So it's like, no offense that you want another one to happen so that you can get a bunch more mm-hmm. money from the UN or whatever. But like, I don't really want another one of those. That's interesting. Um, and I just want to clarify. So I'd said maybe he was responsible for the first impact. Actually, it sounds like maybe they were somehow responsible for the second impact. But I like that interpretation too. Maybe just that he sees Gendo as having benefited from the second impact. Yeah. But he's saying like, I don't want something like that. To happen. Yeah, yeah. And it's, oh, it, he definitely lost a lot, but he, yeah, you're right. He gained a lot of power in it. It, I, I'm glad you caught that because I didn't. In the ne- very next scene or a scene that it like splashes back and forth with, Ritsuko is t- telling Shinji the second impact did not happen from a meteorite as the film that Shinji had watched had said. And she says that all textbooks say this. She reveals to him, not that anyone was involved, but it came out of humanity's first contact with an angel. And so that reveals why, I don't know if they've talk, talked about it in the show, but at least we talked about it, why Sakael is the third angel and not the first. Mm. But, but, but maybe that's classified. Maybe most of the world isn't aware that there were angels during the second impact. They just think it was a, a meteorite, right? Is that the idea? Yeah. And this shady guy, I think you're right. He seems to know that Gendo was involved. So, so in Ritsuko's explanation to Shinji, she says, we found an angel in Antarctica, and then there was a mysterious explosion. When, when we tried <laughs> to study it. Yeah, yeah we, yeah, we tried to study it, and then there was a mysterious explosion. And it's kind of interesting, because if you think back to when the angel showed up in, in episode one or whatever, like the first thing they do is like try to blow it up. So, so I almost wonder, you know, did did they do something trying to attack this angel, which ended up vaporizing Antarctica and then causing the sea level rise and, and kind of like the calamity? You know, maybe it wasn't actually the angels, but the their response to it. Yeah, like maybe they tried to test weapons on it to see what would be effective. And then it was like, oh, cool, I'm going to defend myself. And then it explodes. Uh, so uh, Misato ends up, dressing up very nice and even more extravagant outfit than she went to school in. Uh, and Shinji and more interestingly, Pen Pen, they're both very surprised by this. <laughs> so is Pen Pen attracted to Misato or does Pen Pen <laughs> understand clothing and effort? I feel like that's the more shocking one, but as since we're establishing he has very high cerebral capabilities, maybe that's the more believable one. Yeah, I think they're just both shocked by her uh, her seeming change in character. Yeah, well, I, I think Pen Pen was shocked because she was already dressed and he had not seen her get any alcohol from the fridge. Mm. <laughs> very concerned about her alcoholism, but like pleasantly surprised. Like, oh, wow, you're not going to drink this morning. Uh, and that's, she's dressed up because she's heading off to uh, some meeting, this unveiling of an automated, uh, or at least remotely controlled, uh, giant robot from Japan Heavy and Chemical Industries. They're heading off to see a human work. Ooh. And so Misato and Risco are kind of at this table all by themselves. Yeah. Um, kind of like... There's just like a puddle around them. Like there's nobody, <laughs> yeah, nobody there's near like, them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> An empty space. They're they're social distancing from them, and, and they're seemingly the only, <laughs> only from uh, yeah, seemingly the only women at this mm-hmm. at this meeting too. Yeah, and every time I've watched the episode of quite a few times now, and every time he says that line, I just go like, ugh. it's like like a the, hysterical the woman, around. like ugh. 
Oh yeah, this speaker, this like project head is just an asshole. Well, and it's interesting too, like the the way that he introduces, it's such an honor to have you here and da 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 And there's this sort of, I guess it's just like, maybe it's Japanese business manners compared to American, but he still does all the same like BS spouting where he's like, oh, all that money you wasted could have been used to feed all these people. You weren't going to use it to feed people. Don't <laughs> give me that bullshit. Like you're just saying it's convenient. Yeah, it's all this corporate talk, but he's still like, there's this very respectful initial conversation. And then as it goes on, he just kind of decides to kind of shit on her. It's like having Pete Buttigieg uh, design a giant robot. Yeah, yeah. But, but but it seems like maybe, so he holds up these top secret documents at some point, um, which is like a photo of uh, the Ava going berserk from, I guess, you know, the fight in, in the first couple episodes. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. There was that like throwaway before of Ida, uh, Kensuke Ida, that like otaku kid, you know, like they were like, oh, they said there were no casualties. And he's like, did you see like the size of like the impact on the ground? Something happened out there. But I guess like this is kind of like it was covered up. But then this guy had gotten the information about it. And he's like, we can't have these robots that just like go berserk. They're they're too dangerous. Yeah. And then he, he goes into the thing about like, you know, you can't have your, you know a human heart uh, controlling it. Like, do you think that's going to like prevent it from happening where it seems like he's kind of saying that you shouldn't have some sort of human emotion involved and then seems to imply that like with his next couple statements that it's the women specifically that are causing it to to not be like uh, stable. That's true, like women and children. And I think yeah. I'd have to look back, but when they actually go into the uh, control room to launch the test on the robot, there are no female employees, Correct. whereas at Nerve, like it's almost 50%. And the yeah. two people directly under Gendo, Ritsuko, who's managing all of the research and development, and Misato, who's managing all of the uh, command operations, they're both women. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the gender stuff in this episode is is pretty interesting. So, so you're, like you were saying earlier, there's kind of like a comparison between Misato and and Ritsuko during this episode. And one of the interesting things is during that presentation, Ritsuko is like speaking back to him and kind of like trying to fight him on the ideas. And Misato is looking kind of like defeated or like bored almost. Like she just like hates that that setting. But then as you know, it almost seems like she doesn't care. But then as soon as that meeting is done and they're kind of like back in the locker yeah. room, She's the one who's like super angry and like kicking the locker. And then now Ritsuko is the one who's like calm and and controlled. Oh, like Ritsuko uses her emotions in public, like in a performative fashion. And Misato instead feels her emotions when it's safe away from uh, prying eyes. Yeah, yeah, I don't know the explanation. I, I think that makes sense. I, I was trying to figure out kind of exactly what it means, but it's kind of like an interesting juxtaposition between the, the two of them. Yeah, also, it, it, okay. No, no, go ahead. Oh, just a quick thing. Uh, Ritsuko burns this pamphlet on the robot that they got. And like, why? They're inside. <laughs> it, it doesn't make any sense to burn it. Is she a pyromaniac? Is this how she deals with stress? Well, so, so I was wondering, yeah, I, I was trying to figure that out too. And I was wondering, maybe that's like a secret document she had gotten from Nerve about it. Like that was her briefing. And then she was like destroying the the evidence mm. or something like that. Right. Or or she was like, yeah, a lot of good that did me. Fucking assholes. Like, thanks for the information that didn't I didn't have on this guy when he had this top secret information and he had this other stuff. And how did they find out about this, you know, uh, what the A? The J.A.? Uh, well, not the J.A., but the thing that he knew about that was uh, hmm. the A.I.T. or the... Um, oh, the A.T. field? A.T. field. That's what it is. Sorry. Stands for Absolute Terror Field. Does it? Yeah. Okay. Don't know Sorry. why. <laughs> Usually when you say something like that, you're joking. So that's why. No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> not with this so show. Like, really? Um, but yeah, and I was going to say really quick with um, the, the the sort of the two the two main women is it feels like you were saying performative. It feels like she is showing emotion. Like this is, I'm going to, I'm going to behave this way. I'm going to say these things. And he's going to make himself look like an idiot for when this machine inevitably fails. 
Mm. I'm going to look right, but he's going to look misogynistic. He's going to look like this. He's going to look like that. Mm. And then um, uh, she, when they go back to the locker room and she's like kicking all that shit and doing all that stuff, she's, you know, she's like, look, I know how to behave in public. And then I take my stuff out in private, mm. Um, mm. sort of, sort of being taught, like, as a woman, you have to do this and you have to do that and you have to do this. Kind of like when she's at home, she's a slob, but when she goes out, she's very well dressed and looks very nice. Um, so she's mm. sort of this be myself in private, but be this person that I'm supposed to be in public. That's interesting. Yeah. And it's because it seems to, at least throughout the episode, it seems to be a, a sort of a running thing where she's not, not, I mean, I guess her personality is pretty much the same. She's, she's very much herself most of the time, but I just thought that was interesting. Totally agree. So, so then we have the, the demonstration for this robot, which is called a uh, jet alone. So, uh, sorry, uh, let me cut in real quick. So Jet Alone is uh, a reference to Jet Jaguar from uh, Godzilla, one of the films, Godzilla vs. Megalon. Uh, originally, it was going to be its own uh, hero for a film. It is this robot that's man-sized that gets the ability to turn giant for no apparent reason. <laughs> Uh, uh, Jet Alone, the thing in this, uh, its color scheme is very similar to Jet Jaguar. Uh, and Jet Jaguar's original concept name was Red Alone. And so that's, they just amalgamated those two titles to create Jet Alone. Very interesting. Um, and, and so in Godzilla, is it, is it a thing to fight Godzilla or? No, what? it fights alongside Godzilla to defeat Megalon and uh, Gigan or Gigan. So that, that's part of the, the Godzilla where he, Godzilla is a ally of Japan versus a destroyer. Of yeah, Japan. like the 60s or 70s, yep. There's also some reference to uh, a Japanese ship called the Mutsu, which was Japan's first nuclear-powered or nuclear-capable uh, ship. And that was really controversial because it, uh, it went way over budget and it took a very long time for it to finally come out. So, so they begin this jet alone demonstration you know, it, it starts to to walk, which, you know, Shinji struggled a little <laughs> bit to walk at first. <laughs> so, so in some ways, uh, you know, it's showing it, it's kind of effective right out of the gate. Um, but then also uh, very quickly fails that, you know, this brash guy who had just been making fun of Ritsuko is saying, you know, this shouldn't be possible. I can't understand how this is possibly happening. You know, she had questioned the safety of it having this nuclear reactor in it. And now they're like, oh, God, if it like continues doing this, it's going to have a meltdown and it's walking towards this city. Yeah. And at some point they're like, let's wait for it to stop. And it's like, didn't you just say it'll run for 150 days? <laughs> like, You can't just wait for it to stop. Even if it doesn't last that long and melts down, that's a lot of power that it's going to, it's going to explode. That's a lot of energy that's going to be exp you know, ex expended. Yeah. And, and so I was thinking kind of like when I was first watching this, that this was like, I, I think one thing that's kind of interesting. So, so you saw this robot during the preview of the last episode. And I just assumed that was like the angel that they would be like fighting this week. But, you know, I guess it's the enemies aren't always the angels that, you know, like government or like bureaucracies, humans can create these, these enemies too. And then it also felt like maybe, you know, the guy keeps talking about how this is absolutely safe compared to these unpredictable angels. But there's kind of this message of all new technology is, is kind of like inherently unpredictable or, or dangerous in some way. Yeah, kind of Murphy's Law. I mean, we know that, uh, or at least we suspect uh, that Gendo had some hand in this, that it's not an accident that it d stops receiving commands. But kind of Murphy's Law, like if something can go wrong, it will go wrong. And also, it, it's a completely automated system, which takes the worker out of it, which is a source of unrest in working society today. Automation continually destroys the security and financial situations of workers. And, and I guess maybe in some ways, yeah, automation can make things riskier. You know, it's like driverless cars or something, right? Yeah. That theoretically you can make them safer, but then also it's just kind of like scary to put that into someone else's hands. And then like, like if something goes wrong, you don't have someone there in the, the pilot seat to, to try to fix it. Sort of rampant, like there's no human to 
kind of stop it. There's no human there. Like if something goes wrong to prevent it from going terribly. And she specifically asks about that with it. She's like, you know, remote, remote, remote operation isn't, you know, isn't that safe? And it's like, Oh, nothing can go wrong. Ha 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 ha. And like, um, it's like hubris. Like that's, that's the human work. Hubris. Mm. Uh, is the this this concept that it'll it'll work no matter what like because we made it and we know what we're doing and Masato rises to the challenge she's like I will be that human yeah yeah so it so it stops through their office and yeah it's walking towards this this city and Masato decides she's going to be the one to to save the day yeah and the the project director starts calling around to the bureaucracy yeah. to get permission to save the day. Yeah, and can't, can't you send it in writing? <laughs> Insane. Like, oh my god! And then when uh, and when they have that phone conversation, I've never thought about it before. But Tokyo two, so that would be Tokyo ni, right? Because ni is two in in Japanese, and you put that in front of it, ni Tokyo is almost like Neo Tokyo. Um, hmm. And I've never thought about. It. I just it's something that occurred to me that I hadn't thought about before is the concept of using ni as um, like new or second. Oh yeah, that's cool. Because the word order would probably be switched anyway, right? It wouldn't be Tokyo 2, it would be 2 Tokyo. And that would be Ni Tokyo. Mm. Yeah. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's just a word, just a word <laughs> thing. Nothing, nothing really of substance, just something that occurred to me. Yeah, so, so, yeah, so I guess, yeah, before Misato jumps in to try to save the day, like we were saying, she tries to get them to shut it down. This thing is like a bureaucratic nightmare. Yeah. Everyone keeps passing the buck. They're calling people. They're like, okay, by the time we can officially shut this thing down, you know, it'll be too late already. Um, so she decides to go in and do it. The the workers kind of, yeah, revolt against their boss. The guy takes an ax to the <laughs> yeah. machine, which is almost, you know, like strikers, like destroying automation in a factory or something. Um, and then finally the boss like relents and he's like, okay, well, here's like the password you need um, once you get in there. Yeah. Workers unite. Yeah, and it's it's funny. It's I think it's important too because this episode again it has a lot to do with it seems like gender roles that all the bureau, bureaucrats in the government are men. Oh. And they're all passing it off to someone else. And then a woman's like, "Look, I'll take care of it. You get you guys can't figure it out. I'll just do it." And then she's like, "All right, hey guys." Like she immediately, "Hey, you guys, get the stuff. Meet me here. All right, this is what we're doing." Okay. And then she's like, she's ready in like 5 minutes whereas the guy's been on the phone this whole time um and nothing's happened yet. Yeah. And I do like the the um, the type of character she is. Um, she's not like you know stubborn or or or, or uh, like like in a bad way. Like she's very sure of herself, and she knows what like you know she's re- willing to sacrifice herself if she has to. But she's like, look, like this is what has to be done, and I'm the one that's going to do it because I don't have time to sit here and figure it out. It has to happen right now. Yeah, she has her job for some very yeah. good reasons, right? Yeah. So Misato gets into a radiation suit. And then she calls Nerve and tells them to send Shinji with the uh, Ava 01. And she says, type F equipment? Doesn't matter. It doesn't come up. Um, But they have a ship, a plane, (laughs) big enough to carry the Ava and just drop it out of the sky. Great. It looks like a stealth bomber. Yeah. And and then we have this kind of goofy uh, chase scene. (laughs) where like the Ava is like sprinting, but the camera kind of follows it. So it looks like it's barely moving. And then this other robot is just like power walking <laughs> yeah. with these weird like noodle arms. <laughs> and even though the Ava is like sprinting full speed, it's like barely like gaining on this thing. Yeah, uh, it's like somebody following me. <laughs> you are, for those of our audience, David is very tall. And when he walks, it is easily one and a half times the speed of a regular person. Yeah. Which is fantastic in the long run. You would be able to catch up to this. this yeah. I would just robot. be power walking behind it. Yeah, no problem. Uh, and so, yeah, the Ava catches up and, and grabs onto a handle that is conveniently placed on the backpack yeah. portion of yeah. best robot design ever. Well, and it's perfect because it's just the right size for the hand to actually grasp. It's not like two fingers can go into it or like it's just the right size for the entire hand. Amazing. Uh, so, and then uh, the Avo one deposits Shinji, or not, I'm sorry, Shinji in the Avo one deposits Misato, 
on the back of the jet alone, and she's able to find her way inside of the machine. So, so she goes in, uh, she finds the terminal where she's supposed to enter that password, Kibo Hope, to shut it down. She does that. There's an error. She's like, what's going on? This shouldn't be happening. Um, and then she is kind of trying to, to push in these control rods to stop this pending like nuclear meltdown and, and to shut off its power. And kind of in the middle of doing that, then suddenly something happens. Um, we kind of see this computer screen and it goes from error to a bunch of green text. And then all of the control rods go back in and the, the thing powers down. Yeah, and it's unclear. Um, the first time I watched it, I thought she had like pushed the rods just far enough that the computer was like, okay, fine. But on like, I guess watching it again, it seems like whoever initially deleted the programming that caused the password not to work decided like, oh, I don't want her to die. So let's just remote do this and then it'll shut off. Yeah, she seems to think that it's not her, right? There's something yeah. like, oh, this is like a miracle, but like who did it? I, I forget exactly. Do you remember the line that she says there? I can't remember exactly, but I, it's something along the lines of this was the work of someone else or like this, you know, this was the, um, yeah, so there's something specific. I can't remember the words exactly. Yeah, when she's talking to yeah. Shinji after she shuts it down, right? Yeah. Uh, oh, and before we pass it by, uh, we had talked a little bit about the episode. Uh, Dave, you had a tidbit about the suit that Misato wears? Oh yeah, so um, the the suit that Misato wears, the 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 kind of shape of it, um, uh, in Halo they have um, there's a EVA helmet, and it looks hmm. almost identical to uh, the suit that she wears. Um, and then in the uh, some of the newer Halo titles, um, there's an enemy called a Promethean that looks very much like uh, the Promethean Knight specifically looks very much like the Eva one. Um, like his, hmm. like the shape of his head and everything, and then the um, uh, suit that um, Shinji's wearing looks very much like what the uh, um, newer Spartans wear underneath their Spartan armor. Um, it looks it looks very similar. So um, like Halo is basically just ripping off Neon Genesis in a lot of ways. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> um, homage, like, right? Like yeah, homage, I think very much. But uh, watching it, it's just very interesting. Um, like like watching it, I'm seeing yeah. these things. I'm like, wow, Halo just. Like half of this stuff is just ripped just straight from the, <laughs> this, this, like it looks almost verbatim the same. They just changed the color scheme. Yeah, I guess because they call it the Ava suit or whatever, that makes it feel a little bit more like it's like an homage and yeah. they're trying to yeah. directly reference yeah, exactly. it and just try to get away with it and be like, what? We didn't know about <laughs> yeah. it. We've never seen that. Uh, I love that the, uh, the password is hope. And so hope literally doesn't work as a strategy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and like you said, it's not clear, or I don't know, maybe it is pretty clear that it wasn't her that caused the computer to kick back in. But she does move it slightly. And so I, I like that it's, this series mm. uses ambiguity quite well so that a mm. single event or a single quality can stand for two things simultaneously. Um, and so yeah. I, I think it is that, uh, when all else fails, what you have is human muscle uh, and human yeah. effort to try to fix a problem. Action. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, hope doesn't hope 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 is great and all, but action is what it takes. Mm. I mean, look at two thousand eight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so so then we have uh, Risco debriefing with with Gendo. Um, she's there with some some dude. Um, and uh, one of the things that she says was that everything went exactly as planned, except for that stuff that Misato did. Yeah. <laughs> Which I, I think the combination of that kind of Gendo having the the photograph of it at the beginning and, and talking about these efforts that they're doing, kind of this weird secretive stuff, makes me think that they're the ones behind that sabotage. But I guess... Misato wasn't aware of it. It was something that just Risco and Gendo knew about. You know, it's a little bit unclear. Maybe their if their plan had continued, if it would have ended up destroying that city or something like that. Like if they're willing to make this this bigger sacrifice, mm. or if their plan was to have it shut down. At I, I guess they said it went according to plan. So maybe the plan was to have it shut down eventually, um, but just 
scare all the people into distrusting this this other technology. Yeah, Ritsuko is a class traitor because uh, she's working with them, but she still very much answers to Gendo and keeps information even from her own. Like Misato and Ritsuko, they're different departments essentially, but I feel like they're about the same level within their own departments. But yeah, she keeps this information from Misato. And going back to the thing earlier, where she's kind of saying all these things like, well, well, it's dangerous. It's this, it's that, it's this, it's that. It's like, that was all purposefully done and said because knowing mm. that we're about to make this thing explode or we're about to make this thing go on a rampage or whatever, like saying all those things just ahead of time. Cause then it's like, oh, wow, they knew about, they, you know, they were, they knew about these risks. Wow. We should listen to them instead. Um, it's another mm. way to, um, Give, you know, give get for Gendo's group to get more, you know, uh, nerve and, and all that to get more power. And uh... now, now I'm thinking back and like Misato is kind of like, why are you saying all this stuff? You're making you a know, she's She's kind of like, yeah, like confused and or questioning kind of what Risco is doing. But Risco is doing it because she has this information that Misato doesn't have. Right that this thing is about to fail. And that's why she's perfectly calm in the locker room because she knows what's going to happen. Mm. She's like, I was not actually angry out there. I was just doing, <laughs> I, I was just pretending. <laughs> that's super interesting. Yeah, there's something up with Ritsuko. I don't remember what it is, but there's going to be some reveal on her, I'm sure. So, so then I guess we kind of go back to the... Uh... The kind of sitcom. I forget if does it put a sitcom music yeah, again at the end. The Naruto filler music. <laughs> yeah, but but, but it, and it's kind of like the sitcom thing of at the end of the episode, nothing has really changed. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Misato is is drinking another beer for breakfast. She's still kind of a shit show, even though she just saved the day. Toji and Kensuke show up again. And then he gets a he gets a really nice little kind of uh, affirmation. Um, from them going, she thinks of you as family, man. You get to see the real her. Like, we don't get to see that. We just see this thing she puts on for everybody. You actually get to, like, know who she is. And then he's yeah. like, oh, wow. That never occurred to me. I just thought she was gross. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I guess that's coming from Kensuke, who we've learned doesn't have a mom, right? Mm. So that, um, you know, it, it seems like Toji is definitely, well, both of them seem like they're fawning over her as just, like, this hot chick or whatever. But maybe there's kind of Kensuke has this like jealousy on this other level that he's, you know, kind of this orphan or at least doesn't have a mom like Shinji. Like this is, yeah, this is family. I don't get that. Yeah. And I, I think one of the other things, too, about the, the, the two of them is that it's not just that she's hot. They're also like, yeah, and she's like, you know, this this high up in nerve and da-da-da. so they're actually also impressed, which I think is important, you know, mm. as far as like. Not, a, not just objectifying a woman, but like they seem to like her as an entity. Like, oh, she's, you know, in this big government program. She's super attractive. Like, you know, she's obviously intelligent. She's obviously, you know, capable and all these things. And those all kind of together seem to be what they're attracted to. It doesn't seem to just be um, the physical aspect. Yeah, that's true. They do say Misato is so cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I guess it's kind of more... Yeah, there's some like level of like hero worship or something like yeah, that. something else going too. on. It's not just um, not just objectification. It's interesting, right? Because like I feel like it's that's not that rare for something like this to have some like hunky hero dude where like a bunch of women would be like fawning over them, just be like, oh, he's like so handsome and he's like the best and he does this and that. But we kind of like at least I I feel like categorize that in my head differently. Yeah than like dudes like drooling over some woman or something. Yeah, we look at like men drooling, oh, they're so misogynistic, but then it's like women like fawning over this brute. We're like, oh, he's such an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> the English audio actually had Shinji when he's that final place where he's complaining about Masato. Uh, Shinji says ditzy instead of like a bum. And the new English translation is like objectively worse. Because Masato is not ditzy at all about no. anything. No. Some, sometimes I can pick up on some of the Japanese and like, yeah, the translations aren't always, seems like translations normally go to make something make more sense than like say what people literally say. So like in the, in the scene where 
all the dudes are like looking out the window and the girls say something like, uh, like they're idiot. But then the translation is like, they're like horny idiot. Like they add in the horny to just make it abundantly clear as if it wasn't like clear enough <laughs> or something. Yeah. And it's, it's weird. I was, yeah. I was thinking about the translation of the word hope. Is it a literal translation of just that word means mm. hope? Or is it like a word that has other meanings or a specific type of hope? Um, whereas, because our language, you know, there's certain words in our language that are very one dimensional. Um, but then there are words that it's kind of like the only translation, the closest translation that they can make is, is something else where it has more of a meaning in Japanese than it doesn't, than it can in English. The word just means more things. I don't know about hope specifically, but I, I, I just, um, uh, sometimes I wonder like what, with what you're saying, it's like, you know, baka or whatever, instead of, is it when you add arrow, E-R-O, does that make it pervy? Uh, yeah, I think so. Cause I think it's like erotic. Yeah. Mm. Cause there's uh, and I, I get my, most of my, my, my Japanese comes from Naruto. Cause I've watched all pretty much all of it except for Boruto. It's terrible. But, um, uh, and uh, Eero Senin is pervy sage. And uh, it's like, the, the, it's what he calls one of his teachers. He just keeps calling him Eero Senin all the time. Yeah, so there's there's weird, uh, but but then the English translation, again, going back to, to that, um, they call him the perverted hermit, which doesn't sound as cool to me as Eero Senin <laughs> or pervy sage. Um, it's too many syllables. It's not really a name you call somebody. You don't go like, hey, perverted hermit, every time you see someone. <laughs> Agree. So there's sometimes I, and I, 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 I there's certain translations sometimes I really dislike when I'm watching something because there's I think some of them you can watch with the English audio, but the subtitles that are supposed to be translating the Japanese audio. Mm -hmm. And you can actually see the difference between the two translations they did mm. with the dub and then the subtitles. Yeah. Yeah. And it like, when you do that, you're just like, God, the dub people don't know what they're doing. That's not at all what they were saying. <laughs> well, because like, they're working it? off two different premises, right? Like the right. dub has to match the visuals because it's yes. done after the fact. And they're like, we're not editing the video. Right. Um, and the sub has to take into account how long it takes someone to read a word, right? True. So they avoid using mm -hmm. certain longer words, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it is very strange. Um, and it's like, it's kind of like the, we were talking about the translation of the name from a human work to work, the works of man. Is that what it is? Yeah. The Netflix title is the works of man. Yeah. And I don't like that because it's specifically, it's the works of man. And the episode is primarily focused mm. on, you know, one of the main women in the show. And it's like, really? But the robot is the work of men, you know? True. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, and there's there's a lot of different, I guess, parts of the episode. You know, the the robot itself is a human work. The issues that happen to the robot are a human work. Oh right, it's not some computer malfunction. Someone. Yeah. Well, it is, but someone did that. Right, and the only way to stop it and fix it is a human work, and like you know, kind of all those things, and the overarching thing of Shinji getting along with her is a human work of figuring out, you know, kind of how emotions work and what's going on. Mm. And oh, as yeah. you guys have talked about before with Shinji is he seems to be spectrum. Yeah. And uh, if he's on the autism spectrum, there is things that you have to kind of learn how to be human. So it's like, you know, some of the things he's done, you know, he does emotionally or, or, or getting an understanding are a human work. And that's not something that comes easy to some people on the autism spectrum, it's human stuff. Well, wow, that's really brilliant. Yeah, I hadn't really thought of the difference, or I mean, I, I had thought that the difference between the titles was actually pretty mundane. Uh, and I wondered like, why would you retitle it if it's so similar? That subtle difference is quite different. It And yeah. it just like uh, the first thing you said uh, amazed me. I hadn't thought of that. Like the works of man, man, you know, is using it in that generic humankind sure. sense but it still is the word man as opposed to human. So a human right. work takes that out of it and lets you focus on Misato for the episode. That's awesome. It's Netflix just doing their, their bullshit again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder, you know, and with Netflix too, you wonder, did they like do some sort of testing where they wrote up four different titles for each one and then saw which ones got more clicks or something yeah. like like is their goal to try to make the most representative translation or are they trying to like go back to these existing things and like make them more palatable for their audience right yeah. and, and you might end up with kind of a different translation depending on uh what your goals are 
Yeah, and I think it depends too on if you're doing, um, you know, like when you translate anything from one language to another, there's a lot more than just what those words mean specifically. Like there's the connotation and the denotation. And a lot of times, you know, when you translate one to the other, you kind of miss the connotation or the, the cultural understanding of that phrase that doesn't really translate. And so it's like, you kind of have to change it into something that makes more sense or that would be understood mm -hmm. the same way as close as you can in another culture. Yeah. Sometimes they don't even try. They're just going like, let's just make this into other words. I like it when they kind of split the difference. So sometimes they'll like, you know, make some kind of obscure cultural reference and then put a star. And then there's yeah. like this kind of like separate thing that's almost like a footnote mm -hmm. that's just like, hey, we don't think you know this. So <laughs> by the way, this was like a reference to like an 80s sitcom or something like that. Yeah. And and then other times it's more like they're like, oh, well, they're making a refer like say it was like a reference to a 90s sitcom. Then they'd be like, let's try to make a joke about like friends yeah. and like stick that in there. But then when you're watching, you're like, was friends popular in <laughs> Japan? <laughs> yeah. Like, what is this? There's this phrase in Japanese called an American joke, which I think basically just means a joke that doesn't make sense. <laughs> where it's like not not actually funny and and sometimes when i watch like translations of stuff the joke is like a pun or like a very specific cultural reference and they don't even seem to try to like translate it right which makes me wonder like i don't know when that phrase came from but but if part of it is like you're just watching like say a sitcom with a laugh track and then they don't actually translate the joke and you're just like wait nothing was funny like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah what is going on here? yeah I, I i can imagine like yeah like there being a um a joke that goes on because yeah i think i've seen some yeah they, they just kind of replace the reference with something that like oh this is in english so we'll replace it with an english reference oh this is in german yeah. So we'll replace it with a German reference or, you know, every time they do a dub, they do some sort of other reference that's as close as they can get. But I much prefer when they just give you a star and a paragraph to read. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> if they ever say this, this is what it means. And I think there is a divide between two concepts there that are closely interlinked, uh, translation versus localization. Like yeah. translation is into mm. a language, localization is to a specific area, right? With the, that speaks whatever language, but has specific cultural connotation. Yeah, like imagine, you know, if, if uh, I guess, I guess it isn't something you really have to imagine, like we've talked about before, Alex, I don't know if, I think we talked about this before, Ben, um, that there's a group in Japan, uh, there are two groups in Japan. Uh, there are people that watch King of the Hill with subtitles, and there are people that watch King of the Hill dubbed in Japanese, and they argue with each other about which version is better. That is wild. That is amazing. Yeah, it's um, it's insane, and it's not just King of the Hill. It's like, These are like internet communities. Yeah, like actual something. internet communities. It's like the same arguments that like Americans have about like watching subs or dubs, and and it's just funny. But I, I imagine like you know the localization, the translation of like Southern slang into Japanese. Mm. You know, it's like if they have an understanding of English, some of that Southern slang isn't really going to make the same sense as other English words um, that they may be more familiar with. You know, something that's from yeah. the north or from like from California or whatever and there's all these different um localizations that are different too so it's like i imagine that they probably have similar issues with their dubs and subs in that regard yeah yeah so you try to like sub some kind of like like or dub in like a rural sounding <laughs> japanese yeah. person and put in a bunch of like rural japanese slang yeah right like how do you do you just have like you know the hit like people that live you know live in the middle of nowhere now i want to read these convos <laughs> i just remember when i saw that i was like really i guess that's kind of the same thing though it's like animation that's not for children that's like you know enjoyed by various people and why not because we don't really have American uh, anime with the same sort sort, sort of material. Uh, yes, all of our adult animation is strictly comedic. It is a shame and it is a bizarre thing. Like, I guess America or American companies just do not believe in a serious thing for uh, an animated thing for adults. Yeah, because I mean, there's, um, I think I'm, I, I've seen maybe one or two things, but few and far between. And they're independent things and they're not traditional animation. There's something very, very strange. Mm. Oh, that's true. There's like a really famous uh, independent animator, Bill Plimpton. Uh, if nobody's checked out his work, it's fascinating. He's like the wizards dude. Uh, no, that's, um, that's another guy who's also very, very cool. 
God, I'm going to try to remember his name because he did, he also did Fritz the Cat. Uh, and Wizards is really interesting because it came out the same year as Star Wars. And it, anyways, uh, but Bill Plimpton specifically does all independent animation and has a longstanding hatred of and almost rivalry with uh, Disney because they're so corporatized and have been for so long. Yeah, he's done some really interesting stuff. Most of it is available online. And I guess a new one, but it kind of fits into what you're saying about it being kind of like weird, non-traditional animated style is like Undone. It's like Amazon Prime show by some of the Bojack people, but it's rotoscope. Yeah, rotoscope. That's what I was going to say. Like the, a lot of the a lot of the adult American animation that I see that is not just not just comedic tends to be rotoscope. Um, it doesn't tend to be uh, it tends to be rotoscoped or some sort of warping of actual video footage in some way. Like um, there's a movie Metropia. It's got one of the one of the Skarsgård brothers and or Sarsgard. I can't remember if it was in K or not. And uh, it's a it's very strange. Um, it's a very weird movie. It's about like mind control and the government sells you shampoo, it puts stuff in your head and makes you hear voices. But it's uh, yeah. a very interesting film. But it's 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 a uh, it's a very weird like the skin on the faces looks like live action skin, but the shape of their head is not human. Like it's it's mm. like a, it's like an anthropomorphized kind of human general shape, but it's not like what a real person's head looks like. But the eyes look like real eyes, just enlarged in a weird place, and it's very strange. So it's almost like if you're gonna do adult animation in America, you have to hit the uncanny valley. You have to make yes. people feel slightly uncomfortable while watching it. What was what? that thumb thumb wars? And anyways, what were you going to say, Ben? Oh God. Oh, I was going to say, I almost feel like that's like the justification for making it animated. So, so it's like also that's kind of the use of the rotoscope um, in Undone is it involves kind of this person who thinks they might be going crazy or there might be kind of supernatural things going on. And by making it animated, you can kind of like make the unnatural things more realistic. It's a way to kind of like blend kind of these bizarre elements into like the natural world or like Scanner Darkly yeah. is kind of like that, right? Where life. it's like, there are these like sci-fi or like hallucinatory components that then feel very organic because it's like set onto this like backdrop of everything being animated. Right, absolutely. It feels real because your brain recognizes those actors as real people and hmm. you know, the representations of them, your brain is like, oh yeah, yeah, those are, that's, that's real. Yeah, that is interesting. It'd be funny if you just made an animated thing with people that were like clearly supposed to be real actors, but then didn't actually like hire them. Or you just made an animated movie with like Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston or something. Yeah. Uh, and specifically, not specifically, uh, I guess rotoscoping also allows you to, most animation, I guess, allows you to do more imaginative special effects stuff. Like you're kind of touching on that uh, with a smaller budget. Because usually, you know, explosions, things like that are very expensive, but you could oh, CGI yeah. them for cheaper than that. And then if you have the people, you can rotoscope them for probably even cheaper than that. Yeah. And, and I think, um, you know, go, going back to the Uncanny Valley aspect of it and the and the, the sort of creepiness, like Waking Life, the sort of movie that Linklater made to kind of train for uh, a scanner darkly, it's kind of how it felt because it was much, it was not as refined. It was much more kind of uh, loose and, it, it, you know, like people's faces, their eyes kind of move as they're moving around. The, animated, the animation wasn't as kind of stringent. It was just kind of like, yeah, just get the general shape of the person. Um, but there were some scenes that were very, very um, just disorienting and, and your brain is very confused because like that's a person's, all of the stuff on, on that guy's face is, is like normal human scale and then now it's not. Now it's like his eyes are on the other side of his face and they're moving around and, you know, just very, very weird. But it allows you to sort of make people more uncomfortable, I think, than you can with live action mm. and CGI um, doing rotoscoping. Um, but anyway, it is very interesting. That's kind of the only adult animation thing that we have that's um, not just comedic. I was going to say, just to finish that loop, there's a French movie on Netflix, I Lost My Body. That's like a pretty good like animated drama. Also kind of uses, I don't know, it like it's animated for a reason. And I guess you'll see why if you watch it. Yeah, it sounds awesome. What was that uh, name again? One more time. I lost my body. Thank you. We have, well, excellent tangent. Great recommendations for anyone who loves animation but kind of only sticks to anime. Uh, there are some uh, just fabulous uh, art forms out there like rotoscoping and, and the like. So Misato and Shinji saved the day. And then we know that next time we're finally going to meet Asuka. She's coming with 
with uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, Ava O2, the big red one. It's gonna be baller. Cool. Oh. All right. Uh, oh, and we have we're trying to do a new sign off. So Ben will say pen, I'll say pen, and then you say David pals, and then we will all try to synchronously say pod. So you gotta go pod. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll all try to pod. do that. <laughs> Two tones, pod. Pod. Perfect. <laughs> all right. Uh, pen, pen. Pals. Pod. pod. Oh no, we lost Ben. Uh oh. That's okay. What? He did his part, and I think that's all we need. So, uh, <laughs> He's like, all right, all right. Uh, and hey, great job. I tried my best not to talk too much. Yeah, um, right. Uh, Asuka, she's coming. She's gonna be here soon.